you can be seated. Amen. Welcome to Northwest Baptist. We are glad that you're here. If you're a guest with us, we're super thankful that you've come to be here with us on this beautiful day today. As I was driving uh, to the church this morning, I drove by Lake Hefner, and there was about hundreds of people out there walking and jogging and biking and roller skating. And you chose to be with us this morning, and we're grateful for that as we gather as the people of God here at 23rd and Drexel. We come together to um, not only worship together, but also to hear God's word. And one thing that we'll do this morning is partake of the Lord's Supper together. As a reminder for us as, as the church here, um, we're not just saved um, but we also continue in the faith, in steadfastness, with fellowship with one another as we long and look for eternal hope with our Lord Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that we do together as the body of Christ is we partake of the Lord's Supper and we proclaim the Lord's death and his resurrection until he comes again. Amen? And so when we do this, we are saying that we need Christ, right? We need him today just as much as the day that we were saved and we confessed and we repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need him today. And so part of this is we do this as the church, the people of God who have professed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We come together and we partake of the elements The bread and the juice, or the fruit of the vine. And we're in remembrance of his body that was broken for us, and his blood that was shed for us upon the cross, in which we receive the Holy Spirit through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, promising us eternal life, and we become a child of God. And so when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of what Christ has done for us. We're reminded of our salvation, but we're also reminded that he's coming again. And one day he will come to bring us with him into glory. So I'm going to read for you a passage of scripture as our deacons are preparing themselves to get at their tables this morning. And it's from the passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. I think it'll be on the screen behind us this morning. And it's thus. Well, it's Mark chapter 5, verse 21. We can read that as well. So I'll go there. Since it's on the screen behind us, I'll go there. Mark chapter 5. No, that's our passage this morning. That's not going to work. 1 Corinthians 10. We'll go back there. How's that? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. They don't have it on the screen for you. So you can turn in your Bibles there if you want to, or you can listen to me read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So that's what we're doing this morning. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So what does that mean at the end of this text? It's just saying that if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you not eat the bread and drink the cup. And if you are continually living in unrepentant sin, uh, we ask that you not uh, eat the bread and drink the cup. The bread and the cup is just you are fellowshipping with the Lord. It's a sign that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you are fellowshipping with one another in the church, in the body, and that you're preparing or you're waiting on the Lord's return until he comes. So that's what we're going to do this morning. How this is going to work is you're going to, after I pray, you're going to stand up and you're going to go to one of our deacons tables here and you're going to take a bread and you're going to take a cup. You're going to take it back to your seat and you're either going to pray by yourself or you're going to pray with those around you in your seat. And then you're going to take the bread and eat the cup at your, at your seat. Don't wait for me. Just do it as the Lord leads you to do that. And then we'll get started with our our, our word of God this morning. So I'm going to pray for us, and then at the end of the prayer, if you'll stand up and come. If you can't make it to one of our deacons, if you just raise your hand, one of our deacons will come to you after they've served everybody else, okay? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word and your truth. We thank you for the blessing it is to come and sit at your table. We thank you, Father, that you are the bread of life, and the Father have given us the new covenant that is in your blood. And we ask, Father, that we would be people who understand that we need Christ today. And Father, as we come before you as broken, sinful people, we come before you, Father, in need of the healing of Christ in our own lives. And Father, we just ask that um, you would strengthen us as a people of God, that you would come alongside of us, that you would comfort us during this time as we are reminded of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you make your way to one of the tables, please, as we partake of the Lord's Supper together.
Lord, we thank you for this time together that we've had as the body uh, and people here. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for your many blessings that you bestowed upon us. Help us to remember uh, just your work of salvation that you've done for us on the cross. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is family worship, so our kids are not in family are in children's church this morning, so you guys get to hear from me, and it's what a privilege that is uh, to be in the house of the Lord as one. And uh, I have a couple announcements. The first announcement is Mission Nashville Fundraiser Lunch is next weekend. We'll be sending 40 of our best and brightest to Nashville to help with House Church Nashville during spring break. And if you want to come to lunch after service next week, uh, they serve us. It's great salad, breadsticks, all sorts of stuff. Uh, or bread. I don't know if it's breadsticks. I'll just, just say bread because that's what it says in the bulletin. Uh, and uh, spaghetti. So it'll be fantastic. You want to sign up for that. Our, our women are doing a ton of things as well, Growing Grace March 4th, and um, sign up for the Women's Retreat April 19th and 20th. Supper Club is a time in which people can gather in homes and eat, uh, just, just as they did in the New Testament in Acts, as they gathered in homes and ate bread, broke bread together. You can do that as part of the church. We'll pair you up with a few other uh, families or people in the church, uh, get to know people and break bread with them. It's a wonderful time. So sign up is in the Welcome Center for that. Also, our parenting conference will be March 8th and 9th, and it is uh, it is becoming very large very quickly, um, and uh, that'll be an enjoyable time. It is open for um, those outside of our church as well to come, and we will have a bunch of people uh, that are foster parents coming to that parenting conference, and so we want to we want to encourage those families that are setting foot in our church for the first time. So those are some uh, announcements for us, and we'll get to the book of Mark this morning. If you'll bring up the house lights so these people, good people can see their words, that'll be great. We skipped over the demoniac this morning, if you've noticed in your notes. Because it is family worship and the sensitive nature of all of those things, uh, we, yes, let there be light. There we go. Um, <clears throat> we skipped over it, so next week we'll do the demoniac. And we're going to skip ahead to the third of Jesus' trilogy of power stories, what I would like to call power stories. And Jesus shows us his power over that which is hostile to God. Remember last week we looked at the chaos of the storm, nature itself coming against God and his disciples in the storm in which they thought they were going to die in the boat. And Jesus brings perfect peace by the power of his spoken word. Peace, be still, and the waves and the wind cease. Jesus the king has power over nature and will restore creation back to how God has created it. Remember how God said in creation, it was good, God will restore all things back to it was good. The kingdom of God will bring complete and utter peace. And then the second story, which is the demoniac, showing he has power over the spiritual realm. We'll discuss that next week. And this morning, we move into a story of two women. 
in, in which they find themselves in, in life's most desperate moments. They fear death. A poll came out by CBS News that said that 54% of Americans don't even think about death. I'll say that again, 54% of people, so half, more than half of the audience in this room, probably doesn't even think about death at all. It may be 80 years from now in which some of you may die. That, that would be 3,004, okay? That's a long time. Can you, can you even think about that? 3,004, I've never even thought about the year 3,000, but some of you in this room will probably see the year 3,000. It may be 2024, but eventually all of us will die. Death is inevitable for us all. That may be morbid, right, to say that, but it is actually true. There are not many statistics that can guarantee something, but this statistic you can guarantee 100% of the people in this room will die. No matter how much We want to think differently about that. But Jesus reminds us, and as the people of God, we have the hope that the kingdom of God is life, not death. Because the king has conquered death, amen? I mean, this this is real stuff, guys. It's real. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this, For the wages of sin is death. What we earn from sin, what we have earned from this broken world, all of us, is death. But the free gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We no longer fear death because our king in which we place our faith has power over death and promises us life. And we're going to see that in the story this morning. You see, John chapter 10, verse 10 says this, The thief only comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Death goes against God. Really, it does. Because God is the life giver. And creation itself in which God breathes into mankind shows the kind of God that we serve. He is the God of life, not death. Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. And this, this is where he says, it was good, Right? There was no death in the Garden of Eden. Sin brought death. And as sin brought death, it was necessary for all of us to die because we don't want to live in this broken, sinful, chaotic world for eternity. You understand that, right? As you get older, you'll understand more and more that you don't want to live in this broken body, right? You don't want to continue to live in this broken world in which you see pain and suffering and chaos all around you. 
Genesis 3.22 says this, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and also take the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man at the east of the garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim is an angel and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Why did he do this? It was so, so in a way, death itself is actually God's grace in our life, knowing that eternal life awaits us, not eternal death or not eternal brokenness in judgment or in hell. But the king of life has come. You, you see what I'm saying? He had, he had to take us away from the Garden of Eden. Why? Because we would eat the tree of life in a broken state. That's why the resurrection is so powerful because we are resurrected in a perfect state. Our bodies will be resurrected in perfection to be with Christ for all eternity. The, the king of life, he has come to declare the kingdom of God will have life and we need to have faith in the king of life. So this morning, like the story we'll read in your word this morning, if you've lost a loved one or you find yourself with an incurable disease or condition, I pray that you're reminded of the love that God has for you, that he sees you, he knows you, he has come for you, and he wants to bring you life. So let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 43, as we see the story of these two women this morning. <clears throat> a 12-year-old little girl and a woman who has an incurable disease and has had it for 12 years. Let's stand in reading of God's word together as we read this powerful story in the power of Christ who has the ability to save and grant us life. Mark chapter five, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again into the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name and seeing him, he fell at his feet. And implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? He looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, 
fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus was, saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was, taking her by the hand. He said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement and he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. What a powerful story. Let's be seated. You can be seated. Father, as we're overwhelmed with this story this morning, uh, we just pray that you would speak to our hearts and our minds, that you would give us the peace that we need to endure today, Father, and the hope of eternal life that comes through knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. We pray, Father, that you would open our eyes to the scriptures and open our ears to hear what you have done and who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know if you guys have ever been skiing, but you can remember as a little, little child, uh, I can remember as a little child going to my first ski trip. It was actually in Vermont. Uh, We lived in the Northeast at the time, and I was going to Vermont on our first ski trip. I was probably five years old. My brother was three years old at the time. And uh, we were excited to go on this family vacation. We didn't do that a whole lot um, when we were growing up. But we went on this family vacation to Vermont. And what do you know, in the, in the room in Vermont, they had what we would call bunk beds. As a little child, you know how great bunk beds are, right? You, you don't have a bunk bed at home, but you get one when you go on vacation. And it is fantastic. And they had these bunk beds, one down, one on top, and you always fight, fought your brother for the one on top because you wanted to be on top. And then they had this bed off to the side. It's maybe like a little bit larger bed. So they had two bunk beds and a bed off to the side. You, you know uh, where this is going if you have small children, preferably young boys, you know where this goes. But... Um, I climb to the top of the bunk bed and I do what boys do, jump off the bunk bed onto the other bed. And it's awesome. Supermanning it from the top to the bottom and it was incredible. My three-year-old brother thought it would be incredible as well. The only problem was he didn't make it. He hit his head on the bedpost or the headboard, and he was out cold instantly 
out cold, not moving. And I'm thinking to myself, what have I done, right? And I can remember the ambulance coming, and I can remember them putting all these tubes into him, oxygen mask, and putting him into the ambulance. I, I can't control myself at this point because I, I, I'm not really aware of what is happening. I just know that this is bad. And I see my brother kind of like give a thumbs up at some point. He's like three years old. He's like, hey, you know. And, uh, and I can just remember um, just peace coming over me. Because I was so desperate at that moment for him to live. And I was so overwhelmed with gratitude and thanksgiving. And I, and I can't imagine having a 12-year-old girl today, right? Um, I can't imagine the gratitude and thanksgiving that Jairus experienced when Jesus raised his daughter, his little girl, to life. Man, resurrection, it's a theme throughout the whole Bible. Did you know that? The Old Testament speaks of resurrection. Daniel and Isaiah, all the prophets, they speak of this resurrection theme. Uh, this, this week, uh, me and Cottle, we love this scholar, James Hamilton. If, you, if you've never heard of him, he's, he's a fantastic scholar. He was preaching in Southern uh, Seminary's Chapel this week. And he gave this idea of the resurrection even in the first pages of the Bible. In day three of the creation, as the seed sprouts from the earth, and Jesus says in John chapter 12, verse 14, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Speaking of the resurrection, the falls into the earth and dies and sprouts up and raises fruit. And so even in Genesis chapter 1, in the third day, day 3, in which God creates vegetation, and what does he say? It has seed. The seed that falls off the tree and dies and goes into the earth and will sprout again anew in the resurrection. Praise the Lord that that is how he has designed even us to be resurrected into a new life in Christ Jesus. This is really the Christian life overall. It's, it's life through death. Jesus said in John 12, 25, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Die to self, live for Christ. This is the resurrected life in Jesus Christ. Baptism is also a picture of this. I die and now Christ lives in me. The picture of God's resurrection becomes clear that we'll be raised with Christ, with new bodies for all eternity. And the story this morning, there are two people who are desperate, two women. It's a, a man and his 12-year-old daughter who is about to die. And a woman who has an incurable disease in which she spent all of her money trying to find a cure for her illness. And the king of glory shows the power he has over death and disease. The pa compassion that God has for you who are desperate. 
is seen in this text. Just remember, though, in this moment, in this story, as Jesus heals these two women, there are many at this time, in this moment, who are also suffering from disease and death. And Jesus chooses to heal these two. Why? To show us what will happen in the resurrection of the dead and for all eternity. There are many in need of healing, yet only two were chosen to display God's glory and his power over death and disease. But the story of these two women give all of us hope, the hope that we have in Christ through the resurrection of the dead. And as I like to read from Isaiah, I'm gonna read from Isaiah chapter 25, verse eight, as it brings insight into Mark and the text of Mark. This is what he says the Lord will do. Isaiah says, he will swallow up death forever. Amen? And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Amen? And the reproach of his people, he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Let us rejoice in the king of life this morning. Let's look at the text together in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, remember, they're going from one side to the other. So in in, in the storm, they're going from the one side to the other side, which is the Gentile side. He'll meet the demoniac, and then he'll return back. And this is Jesus' return back to the other side. And he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And the great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a, a woman who had had discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and spent all that she had and was no better but rather worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, came up from behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For he said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. This is our point number one this morning. The broken world has made humanity desperate for life. This broken world that we live in, that we experience every day, has made us desperate for life. You see, the synagogue ruler, he's a man of means. That means he's a man of status. He has money. He has a good job. People respect him. He's one of the rulers of the synagogue. But all the money and all the power in the world cannot save his daughter. You know, some people in our world believe that if they have enough money or power, they're invincible from disease and death. Even Steve Jobs died, right? He had all the money, all the power in the world. Also, the 
there's a lie that many young people believe that they're invincible, that nothing can touch them. In this story, we see a girl who's 12 years old, to be exact. Yet the world is very broken, and there is sickness and death, and it's here, and it's a very part of our world. And this man's plea for his daughter is contrasted with the woman. As Jesus is working his way through the crowd, there's a, there's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. She's tried all the doctors. She's paid them all her money, and nothing has helped. She is hopeless in her condition. She has gotten worse. But not only does she have this ailment and this condition, But as a result of her condition, she's an outcast in the society. She's considered unclean because of her bleeding. Anyone who touches her becomes unclean. Anyone who touches what she touched becomes unclean. She's an outcast. She's like a leper in her society. Leviticus 15 tells us this. Leviticus 15.25 gives us the laws here. At this time, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanliness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as a bed of impurity. Everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanliness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. So essentially, she's like a leper outside of the camp, outside of fellowship, Not only her pain physically, but she cannot fellowship with people. She she couldn't go into the congregation. What a tragedy, right? Oftentimes sickness does take us out of fellowship in the body. Now I know some of you are thinking, I kind of like the whole pandemic thing. I, I liked being by myself, but we were really made for human interaction, human touch, to give and receive love and fellowship. She's in complete isolation. Think maximum security prison, no visitors. That's that's her life. It's horrendous. And now the lady who's been bleeding is poor and outcast. And while the crowd is pushing against Jesus, she says to herself, if I could only just touch his garments, I'll be made well. So we have the father who's desperate. His his daughter is, is about to die and knows that Jesus has healed many and comes to Jesus. We have this woman who's desperate. She cannot find healing. Doctors and research and money. They're reaching for something. Many people in this life will be reaching for something. Many, many people will reach for 
for money to solve their problems. Many will reach for fitness or youth or status. And many times disease and death, they don't care how much money you have or how young you are or how much power you have. But they do remind us of one thing, our need for Jesus. See, for us as Christians, we are sojourners in this life. This is not our home, and we know that. While we're here, we have a task to do. But when we are gone, we are with the Lord. This is what Paul says to kind of summarize this idea. Philippians chapter 121. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul's wrestling with the idea of to live or to be with Christ, right? He realizes to live means fruitful labor and glory for the people of God. But if you don't know Christ, then disease and death is almost unbearable. And the thought of these two ideas combined with a holy and gracious God just doesn't compute for many. But the simple fact is that walking with Christ is not supposed to make life perfect. All the disciples, they were martyred for their faith. James, who was in the inner circle, who will be in the room when Jairus' daughter is raised to life, he doesn't even last 11 years after Christ's death and resurrection before he is beheaded. You see, God is a gracious God because in Christ we will all be resurrected into eternal life. So in sickness and death, we cling to the promise of God. Let's continue the story, verse 30. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. This is our second point this morning. God's people come before the king in faith. God's people come before the king in faith. Jesus is calling for us to have faith in him just as these two had to have faith in their desperate moments. 
You see, both of these stories are happening at the same time. On their way to heal the little girl who is in her last minutes, Jesus is touched by a woman who is unclean. And just at the touch of his garment, she is healed. Immediately, Jesus knows that this has happened. Why? Because it says in the text that power goes out from him. You, think, you look at that and you think to yourself, what does that mean? The power went out from Jesus? It makes sense knowing there's a, col- a cost for ultimate healing upon the cross. By his stripes, we have been healed. Amen? So Jesus has healed this woman of disease that was incurable. And it's amazing. He stops. Can you think of the 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 synagogue ruler at this moment he's like well, Jesus we got to go now my daughter is at her last moments and Jesus is stopping and he's talking to the crowd and he's talking to this woman he said who touched me you think of the synagogue ruler going no no we we have to keep going this is one of those moments that this woman who touched Jesus garments got to be thinking to himself thinking to herself, man, I need to go hide right now. The woman falls down in front of Jesus, fear and trembling, and tells Jesus what happened. And, And you can almost feel the tension in the story. Is Jesus going to rebuke this woman an unclean woman coming and touching Jesus' robe? What, what's going to happen here? And Jesus' response, I love this, his compassion for this woman. He says, daughter. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. Daughter, what a, what a statement, right? What a statement. She's, she's someone who's been outside of the camp, right? She feels worthless. She feels like no one cares about her, and Jesus calls her daughter. It's her being recognized in the family of God, refer back to chapter 3, verse 35. For whoever does the will of God, he is my mother and sister and brother. It's the daughter. She's a child of God because of her faith. It's almost like he doesn't need, he already knows that she has touched his garments but it's almost like he just wanted to say, I wanted you to know why you were healed. It wasn't because of some magic, some false understanding of touching of clothes of Jesus, but rather it was your faith in me. See, we are all this woman. We're cast out of the presence of God, declared unclean, unable to enter in, without hope. Remember the Garden of Eden? The flaming sword guards the tree of life. We are outside of that. No matter how hard we try, we cannot escape the problem of sin, and we are desperate for the salvation of God. 
My question is, do you believe that Jesus is the answer to your salvation? Do you believe that he can cleanse you of all unrighteousness? And do you have faith that he is your savior? That the king has the authority and the power to declare you righteous, healed, forgiven, and that you have peace with God. And the exchange now takes place between Jesus and this woman. Your faith has made you well. It's not some, some magical words or it's not some magical faith that makes people well. It's faith in Jesus provides ultimate healing forever in eternal life. That's what he's showing us. Because he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And now the exchange takes us back to Jairus and his daughter, the synagogue ruler and his daughter. Jesus has stopped. He's had this discussion. The crowd is watching Jesus. And now... Jesus, you've waited too long. The girl is dead, right? Verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Don't trouble him anymore. They're too far gone. Do not fear, believe, have faith in me. I am the resurrection and the life. That's what Jesus will say to Lazarus, his sister. I will show you who I am. You see, the resurrection of Christ gives us the courage to live today. Whether we're struggling in sickness or disease or struggling in sin or in any aspect of our life, it gives us the courage to live today. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. That means your, your body, your flesh and blood, it cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The perishable, that which will die, your body, it will not inherit imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Therefore, my beloved brothers, 
Therefore, because we have victory in Christ, this is what it says. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You have courage now to live for Christ, knowing that if disease or death takes you, you are with the Lord forever because Jesus has given you victory. So church, do not be in fear, but live courageously for the kingdom of God. The enemy, it can't take anything from you because Christ has won that victory. We can be steadfast in our faith knowing that Christ has overcome death. Amen? Verse 37, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. So these, these three are his inner circle, and they're, they're following Jesus. He won't allow anyone else to go with him to Jairus' house. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. All right, so they, they would hire these, these, these professionals who would show their sadness and weeping and wailing. This is what they would do at this time. The, the more means or the more money you had, the more weeping and wailing they had. This guy of weans, so they, they probably had a lot of professional weepers and wailers. And when they had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, that would, that would be a precursor of them laughing at Jesus on the cross when he was giving his life for us, telling him, if you're really the truly the son of God, take yourself down from there. But he put them all outside. He took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. So it's an intimate moment. The three disciples, the father and mother, And he takes her by the hand. Again, she's considered unclean because she's dead. And yet Jesus takes her by the hand. And he said to her, Talitha Kumi. And and again, this is, Mark is showing us these words because this was his words that he heard in the Aramaic as Jesus speaks in Aramaic to this young girl, this little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years old. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. <clears throat> he brings her up and she walks around and is like, hey, let's get her something to eat. <laughs> She's ready to go. I think this is point number three. The king has power over death. The king has power over death. You know, a lot of people will take this text and they'll say, oh, well, since Jesus healed and, <clears throat> and uh, healed the sick lady and Jesus resurrected the dead, um, y- you can too. Because you have the spirit of the living God inside of you. And you can raise the dead in Jesus' name. You can heal the sick in Jesus' name. Yes, the name of Jesus does have power and these things have happened. But the point is, death has no power over Christ. 
That's the point. I've been trying to make this same point and this same argument all the time. We are going to be resurrected in Christ. Why? Because he has power over death. So yes, we will all die. Yes, even this 12-year-old girl who died and Jesus raised alive, she died again. But Christ will resurrect us to be with God forever. That's the point. You say, well, if Christians could raise people from the dead, we'd see more people believe. Really? Really? We would? Because in the story of Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man's being tormented after his death, and he says, if you can't save me in this torment, send Lazarus to my family from the dead. And this is what he said. Then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house. Lazarus, or the rich man is saying, Send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Jesus is saying, even if someone rises from the dead, it's not going to convince someone to believe upon Christ for salvation. Someone hears the story of Christ and the story of Jairus' daughter. They can be convinced. They have the story that Jesus can resurrect them from the dead. All it takes is faith in the true Son of God. But the power of Christ is amazing. The way that Jesus awakens the little girl may be the the way that Jesus welcomes us into heaven. You can imagine that. You waking up to the hand in Jesus and he says to you, Talitha Kumi, I say to you, arise. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 1 says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Ephesians five thirteen and 14. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Why does Jesus not make this public? Why does he tell people not to tell anyone? Because when a public resurrection happens, which would be Lazarus later, he will be crucified for that. But these things, the story of Jairus' daughter, the story of the woman who had 12 years of illness, it was written for you to know that Jesus is the Son of God to place your faith in him, to have courage that he overcomes death and that you as the people of God should not fear death. John writes his gospel and all of the gospels are written for this reason, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So church, this story, it's for us to remind us of the power of God in the resurrection 
of the new hope in which there will not be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering for us because Christ has conquered death and he will make all things new. Let us rest in that, in that fact and let us have courage as the king of life has come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word and the power that's in it. We thank you that you give us hope and peace and knowing that uh, our God is a God of salvation. He is a God of life. He is a God of resurrection as he will take dry bones and resurrect them to life. And Father, he takes the seed that comes off of the tree and brings new life and sprouts vegetation. And Lord, we ask that you would bring about new life in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, knowing that we will bear and produce fruit for your glory, but also that we will be with you for all eternity. Help us to have courage and faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's now time to respond to the word of God. If you'll stand with me in worship of the king of life, let us worship the king of life this morning. The altar is open for those that need prayer. We'd love to pray with you. If you need encouragement or you need somebody to pray for you, we want to have the compassion of Christ to pray and love for you.